Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. As always, I am Ryan Young, and as will be the case all football season, I'm joined by former USC quarterback and current Trojans analyst, Max Brown. Max, how are you? Doing great. Fired up for another episode. This will be fun. Yeah, I mean, if, if you've been listening, or if you haven't, uh, you should start, because the routine is going to be consistent every week. Me and Max are doing a Tuesday podcast, uh, recapping the previous game, uh, hitting all the storylines pretty in-depth, getting his analysis and insight, kind of, you know, X's nose wise on what happened. And on Friday, we're looking ahead. We're looking to the upcoming game and whatever else has developed through the week. Also, every Thursday, Max is on the message board at Trojansports.com taking questions from our subscribers. And it's a really fun hour-long chat. You get a range of questions. A few this week were, you know, what are the main things the quarterback is is looking at pre-snap, you know, his main keys. Why is this offense easier for a freshman quarterback to adapt to than the one that Max played in? And, you know, fun stuff, too, like which teammate was was most likely the job with fans during the game. So we covered all that stuff this week. Every week it's a, it's a wide-open, free-flowing forum conversation. you got to be subscribed to join in. Uh, now is a great time to join Trojansports.com. We have a ton of coverage up at the site, as will be the case every week. And we're just so thrilled to have Max as part of the team this season. Let's get right into it. It's, it's USC-Stanford. Um, this was going to be the first – real gauge for this team anyway, but now it's the first real gauge for true freshman Keaton Slovis, who takes over as starting quarterback. But it's almost the same situation across the line. Now, KJ Costello at Stanford is not out for the season, but he's out this week. David Shaw confirmed Thursday that he is ruled out. Davis Mills takes over at quarterbacks. We have two first-time starters. We'll get into both those guys more in depth, but just what are your thoughts on the dynamics of this matchup now and how much it's changed in the last six days? Seriously, it's changed in six days. It's the, the battle of the backup quarterbacks. I think uh, if you're a USC fan, which your whole uh, our whole audience is, I think you've got to be pumped on that because I think there's going to be growing pains for both sides. Uh, I do think the dynamics are different, though. I think, um, I mean, with the air raid offense, it kind of goes as the quarterback goes. As I say that out loud, I think USC has the run game that most air raid offenses don't have. So I think they're in better they're in a better situation than say a Washington State, for example, would be, where it's like okay, they are really all pass kind of kind of uh, kind of dynamic. Um, on Stanford's side, uh, Davis. I mean, Davis has been around longer, so I think that definitely plays to his favor. I think they're able to lean on the run game as much. But then again, like they don't have a Bryce Love back there, they don't have a Christian McCaffrey back there, so it's not like they're just able to run the run the run the rock without thinking. They need the quarterback to play. They definitely rely on KJ Costello. So I think both offenses are in a similar mindset. I think if you if you ask me, okay, which backup quarterback do I feel the most comfortable with? I'm probably going with Stanford's guy if yeah. I if I had to pick one, um, but that's kind of where I net out with the uh, the dynamics of, of of both quarterbacks. Well, you know, let's kind of compare and contrast situations here. You have last week's season opener, both starting quarterbacks knocked out right before halftime. Obviously, JT Daniels uh, has a season-ending knee injury, while Costello is sliding, giving himself up, and a Northwestern defender just throws a forearm right in his chin and knocks him out for the game. Both teams were ahead at the time. Both backup quarterbacks were not asked to do a ton. Davis Mills was 7 of 14 for 81 yards. Uh, they really relied on their defense and running game on both sides. The differences, though, are that Davis Mills was a five-star prospect. He was the number one rated pro-style quarterback in the 2017 class. And as we've discussed a bunch, Keaton Slovis was the other end of the spectrum, a really o- overlooked, underrated three-star guy who came here with no fanfare and just rose up the depth chart really quickly and is now the starter in the second game. So there are differences. Let's start with Davis Mills. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, Max, when I learned this week that you actually worked with him a little bit at the Elite 11 camp the year he was there and, and got to see him as a prospect. What was your impression of him then? Yeah, so I was a camp counselor there. So like I was, uh, that would have been the summer of 2016. Um, yeah, summer 2016. That class was loaded. I tell you what, Ryan. I mean, it was that was Tua. That was um, was that Jake Fromm too? But it was it was Davis Mills. I mean, there was a there was a bunch of 
bunch of big time passers that we now know of today. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I coached him up all weekend and know the ins and outs of him. But I think what jumped off the page right now is exactly what jumps off the page when, when going through the film and just how smooth he is, how crisp he is. I mean, Andrew Luck, in terms of how smooth and crisp and polished they are, I mean, obviously he went to Stanford, Luck went to Stanford, but like that kind of feel in terms of if you're a quarterback coach and you're coaching what a quarterback should look like when he throws the ball, when he operates, uh, Davis Mills is that type of guy. I mean, there's no secret why he's the top guy. But I think, and uh, we talked about this on the message board, his biggest thing is when you haven't seen as many reps um, as a Stanford's quarterback, what's your master? What's your level of mastery with that offense right now? K.J. Costello walks the line, and it's his show. He's checking in and out of plays. He's throwing guys open, which he did a great job last year. This year, it's a little bit younger of a receiving core, those kind of things. Those will be new for Davis Mills, but uh, that's what jumps out at me. I think it's similar to uh, Keaton, though, when we talk about, like, we haven't seen a lot. And so it's going to be both guys' kind of first true test, and both guys are going to have to learn on the job. And uh, a lot will be be proven uh, early on in that ballgame. I got a kick out of uh, Clancy Pendergast this week, USC's defensive coordinator, who really just had no interest in giving us any insight into how he's preparing at that time, it was the, the likelihood of Davis Mills. Now it's a certainty. But he was asked, you know, how do you go about studying this guy? He hasn't played that much. And Clancy goes, well, it's been a long week. We've seen a lot of film. And the follow-up <laughs> question is, are you, are you looking at this year's film or his high school stuff? Or And Clancy goes, we've just watched a lot of film. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, Cl- <laughs> so, Clancy's probably licking his chops. Clancy's, I mean, you talk about backup quarterback, Clancy Pendergrass. He's probably dialing up blitzes. Right. But then again, I mean, we've talked about all offseason how this defense has simplified things, and there's not as many exotic plans. And so I guess there's a good trade-off for listeners. That's the trade-off right there. Everyone loves saying all oh, the defense is – is more simple like this is awesome and you kind of think well why don't we do this the whole time well the other side of that is you're not as you're not able to do these exotic blitzes these exotic fronts uh different schemes you're doing with defensive ends and different defensive tackles this is the game that you want that to confuse a freshman quarterback to make it hell for him back there so those are kind of the give and takes but either way Clancy's probably fired up for this game yeah, well, you know, I, I watched what I could of that Stanford-Northwestern game, but then I also went back and watched some of Davis Mills' high school stuff. It's not super relevant now, but you still get a feel for what this guy can do, and I found him to be you know, very mobile uh, within the pocket, able to, to free himself, move around, and uh, very live arm, great touch. So I, I don't know what to expect, but, but I'm certainly not going to write him off and say that this is – this is not a challenge. I mean, we'll see what it becomes Saturday, but I, I think he has a lot of potential. And uh, that's kind of what I said in the in the message board as well. It was like, what are you expecting for this game? And um, am I fearful of this of Davis Mills? No. But am I making large scale adjustments to my defense? Not at all. I think if you're Clancy, I mean, it was I had a good laugh and it was funny about talking about like exotic pressures and whatnot. And I definitely lean that way in terms of putting heat on the kid. But by and large, I think it's going to be business as usual with this Stanford offense until they show that, hey, they can't throw the ball or, hey, this guy's the next big thing and he's been hiding in their uh, in their quarterback room for years kind of thing. Until that happens, I think it's going to be business as, as usual for this – for as a defensive mindset walking into this Stanford game. Yeah, here's the point that maybe not everyone realizes, though. We think of Stanford as this, as this hard-nosed – physical up front, lean on the rushing attack team. And if you look at the stats last season, they actually ranked 122nd out of 130 teams in rushing, 108 yards a game. That was with Bryce Love. And, and you know, USC played them so early last year that most fans probably didn't follow the rest of Stanford's season. But they had troubles with the offensive line all last year. And they're, now they're missing their starting left tackle, Walker Little, who, who was their best lineman by far. So it, this is not necessarily the Stanford of old. They really did ask KJ Costello to do a lot for that team. And I don't think they can get by for four quarters against the USC team without asking Davis Mills to do something too. That's exactly – I mean, you hit on right right there at the end. I am huge on KJ Costello. People follow me on my own social channels. I've been uh, – he's been my sleeper guy the, the whole offseason, and I know he's kind of that cusp four, five, six NFL quarterback for, for, for next year. Um, but I, I'm right with you. It wasn't necessarily the old Stanford that we were used to. Obviously, Bryce Love was hurt last year, but credit to K.J. Costello for kind of putting the team on his back. And 
it's a fair point, right? I mean, if KJ Costello's out and Davis Mills has to go in there and run the show and uh, the, carry the load in terms – and to me, the areas that stick out the most are kind of those third-down situations. When Stanford's rolling, they're always great on third down, moving the sticks, living in third and four, keeping a defense guessing. Um, but if they aren't able to pass and Clancy's able to gear up or whatever the situation is – uh, Stanford could be in a in a tough spot. Could be advantageous for for SC, and by by no means do I think. Uh, I mean, SC's favorited right now. I think so. Yeah, we're uh, yeah. we're in good, we're in good spot. So so I'm I'm a I'm an old school journalist. You know, I came up in newspapers, and I love a good storyline. I, I get excited for storylines. Love and, it. And, love it. You know, things do get stale at times during the season, and you're and you're and you're trying to find that angle or that intrigue. You don't have to look very far this week. We just covered everything from Stanford side. Well, it's it's even more intriguing from USC side. We talked a lot in the Tuesday podcast about Keaton Slovis, but I want to expound on a few things here, a few points. You know, again, he was named the backup coming out of camp. They split reps, all camp to that point. Then he gets the backup share of reps for two weeks before that game. Then he sits for the whole first half. Then he gets thrust in and has a half time to, to think about it, dwell on it but didn't have the preparation he's going to have this week. This week he gets all the starters reps. He's the guy for as long as he can keep that job or stay healthy. And Max is someone who's been in that position, who knows the differences. How, how big is a game week different from going through it as a backup? Obviously you're preparing in case you have to play. That's always the line you hear. You practice like a starter regardless. But the reality is you're not getting all those reps. How how much of a tangible advantage is it for Keaton Slovis to be the focal point in practice for this whole week entering this game? I think there's give and take to it all. And I think to start, like, uh, I've, I've been a backup, been a starter, been, yeah, been both roles, but I never was forced to action this early. So I don't necessarily know what's going through his head, but I I think I think there's positives and negatives. I, I, I know when, he, when JT Daniels went down at halftime, I was uh, – was sitting next to a buddy, Robbie Colance, for SC fans, uh, walk-on receiver a couple years back, and, he, and we were kind of talking about this dynamic of, as a quarterback, do you want your first action to be you have a whole week of prep, or do you want to just be thrown into the fire and it's just, hey, you have to react and you just got to go out there and play and you're not overthinking. I think there is positives and negatives to both. Um, I think there is something to be said about when you just are thrown out there, you don't have time to think. And for a young guy, maybe sometimes that's better because um, you're not overthinking things. You're not nitpicking on what safeties are doing. You're just going out there and trying to find completion. So I think there is a positive to that. I think there is a positive that he had his first significant action in that role. But don't get me wrong. When you talk about conference opponent, having the full week of reps to prep, um, the biggest thing is – I mean, uh, practice, you kind of almost like skip over like, oh, it's just practice this week. But when he's able to go out there and say, all right, here's our third down package and see the ball go into Michael Pittman's hands, see the ball, see this concept work to Amon Ra, that builds confidence for a young guy that has no reps to fall back on or very few reps to fall back on. Mentally, that's a huge advantage for him this week that he didn't necessarily have the week before. Um... But I think it also – I talked to Graham Harrell this morning on the phone, and you know, they're kind of sorting through the plays that they like and don't like, and especially as a young young quarterback. Graham wants to find the plays that he knows his young quarterback can operate at a high level. And this week he's able to kind of filter through this, where like, eh, I don't really like this one. Ah, this is my favorite red zone beater. Let's dial this one up early. So those are the advantages you get. Um, I think obviously pressure's high. Every, everything you hear about Keaton, though, it sounds like he's mentally wired in a healthy way. So um, I think mentally he'll be just fine. I think it's just a matter of, and I mentioned this on the message board, his ceiling's as high as everyone's talking about how high the ceiling is. I think it's just a matter of can he get there in two quarters, two weeks, or is it going to be two months and a whole season? And that's, I think, uh, the question that uh, a large portion of SC season kind of uh, relies upon right now. Yeah, and and I I don't have a firm prediction on that. I, I I don't know what to truly expect. I'm optimistic for him. Here's here's what I liked that I heard this week, and we heard it right after the game, and we heard it again Tuesday when we talked to the offensive uh, players. People kept asking uh, Keaton's teammates, you know, did, did you go up to him at halftime and say anything? Were you were you trying to motivate him? And to a man, they all said it was actually kind of the other way around. He was coming up to us, going, "Let's go! I got this! Let's do this!" and 
that really does jive with everything we know about his personality, what we've seen through the spring and now. I, I just don't think he's a guy who gets overwhelmed. So, so that's one point of encouragement. Yeah, I love and, it. And that's, that's a great, yeah, great, great mindset. That's awesome to hear. What's the second point? And, and then it's, it's just, again, the fact that we know with, without a shadow of a doubt that his offensive coordinator is his biggest fan, loves his game, has total confidence in him. This is not a situation where Graham Harrell has to talk himself into Keaton Slovis and, and what he can do. I mean, it's possible if, if Keaton had been a little more consistent in August, it would have been an even tougher decision with that starting job just because of how much Graham Harrell likes him. And it, he, he was – everyone has now heard the well-circulated quote that he had when the depth chart came out where Graham Harrell said, talent-wise, he's as good as I've, I've seen. And everyone's like, what's that mean? Like, you've, you've been in the NFL. You've, you know, you played at the highest level in college. So he was asked again this week, and he kind of, like, like, what did you mean by that? And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and goes, I don't know how else to put it. He's, he's as talented of a passer as I've seen. He's just, he, he can make throws that other, other people can't make. And it's not just Graham Harrell. We were talking to Michael Pittman, and, and we asked Pittman, what was your first impression of Keaton Slovis when he came in? And he starts joking around, going, ah, I thought, you know, he's kind of goofy. He's kind of a skinny, lanky kid. And then I saw him throw the ball, and it was like, wow. And Pittman's quote was, he was a shocker. So this is not just one person's opinion. or This is kind of the, co- the collective opinion is that this guy has been a lot more than advertised. And there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that he can step in and, and maybe show something. Yeah, it'll be a funny dynamic for him personally where – uh, I gather the past five years he's been like the underdog and the guy that's uh, like chip on his shoulder and all that and it won't that won't change uh, initially but if he's getting those best I've ever seen comparisons and as arm talent as I've ever like as good as I've ever seen then that the, the expectations change on you a little bit especially yeah. when you're at SC you're at you're at quarterback you or whatever you want to call uh, call that position I mean. Uh, that's more of a maybe an off-season question we can uh, we can debate. But does the mentality change? I envision not. Everything I hear from this kid is film junkie, works hard. The fact that he's getting uh, getting guys fired up in the locker room shows that he's he's self-aware enough to understand the situation and that eyes all eyes are on him kind of thing. So, no, I think uh, it's never fun to start a true freshman week two. But I think if you're going to have to do it, it sounds like the mental makeup and the skill set of Keaton Slovis is one that's uh, on the path for success. Yeah, and, and I, I want to qualify this. I'm I'm relaying the hype that we're here. I I don't want to very be a true, hype, very a, a true. hype machine yeah. here because because I I truly don't know how he's going to acquit himself to the situation. I that's why I'm so intrigued by it because it, it can go a, a number of different ways. But there's there is definitely a way where it goes very positively. I'm not predicting anything. I don't know, so don't blame me. Uh, whatever happens, I'm not the hype machine here i'm just saying this is what's being said about him now the biggest question i think most people have this week is how much of the playbook is open to him or how much is the game plan different than it would have been if jt daniels was at quarterback because obviously keaton came in with a lead uh had two downfield passes and otherwise was a very conservative offensive game plan but that i think was very circumstantial and situational so we asked graham harrell we asked clay helton we asked keaton you know, how, how much of the offense is there for you? And, and every one of them said nothing changes. Clay Helton said, wide open. Can't wait to see what he does. Graham Harrell says, ultimately, we've got to do what we do. And, you know, the, it, the game plan will change based on, pers- based on opponents at times, but not based on personnel. Tyler Vaughn said, we are what we are. Nothing changes. you got to step in there and be able to do it. So by all accounts – we should get to see Keaton Slovis run this air raid offense the same way that JT Daniels did in the first half last week. If everyone, if everyone is being truthful with this, is that your expectation? That is not my expectation. Okay. I mean, I, uh, I, I would probably say the same thing if I was a coach, cause that's, what, right. that's the mentality you have to have as your, as your, uh, for your team. But come on now, we got Stephen Carr in the backfield. We got Vi uh, Vi Malapai in the uh, backfield as well with a true freshman quarterback. You better believe they're going to make sure they establish the run game, which was not necessarily the mindset. Yes, they did that last week, but in terms of like a heavy emphasis, that was not necessarily the mindset they had in the off season. 
I know I, I would be willing to bet that if I'm Graham Harrell, this is what I would do if in my call sheet I'm having a box in the bottom left-hand corner of Keaton's favorite plays that if I'm in a pickle or he's not doing well that that I can go to to get him easy completions, completions that I've seen time and time again in spring ball and fall camp that he's done. I don't necessarily know if you make that list for a JT Daniels because you know what you're, you're saying, you know what, this guy has 12 starts under his belt. That's not even a thing. We're not going down that road. So I think those are two differences. I think by and large, I'm sure the same like concepts were installed this week. I'm with you there. But in terms of the mindset of a, of a play caller, the mindset of, ooh, what happens if this offense does get punched in the mouth right away? You better believe they're going to find – they're going to alter ways to make sure their true freshman quarterback is uh, as comfortable as possible that you might not be as wary of for a JT Daniels that has 12 starts under his belt. Totally fair point. I'm going to counter with this. Well, yeah, as, what you got? As, as impressive as the running game was last week, I'm still not convinced. I, I bought a few shares of stock. I haven't liquidated my account to, to go on, <laughs> on this rushing attack. Uh, we saw it against Fresno State. It was it was great, but also bear in mind they went into this game having JT throw the ball 34 times in the first half. That's what they felt they had to do, and that opened things for the rushing game. And then they have a lead, and then they lean more into it. I don't know if this offense can do that all game, where where that's the primary weapon offensively is is the ground attack maybe it is because again last week was a lot better than i expected the blocking was much better i was impressed with not only the offensive line uh, and pretty much everyone on the offensive line uh, that was that was total surprise to me but the second level blocking was great uh, both vi and car maximized pretty much every hole they had so yeah it was really eye-opening but this is against stanford now and until i see it in this setting i'm just not ready to go all the way in i, I still think this team is built to win with the pass and that they're going to have to get Keaton to that point where he can closely approximate what they wanted to do all along. I'm right with you. I agree with every word you said right there in terms of um, like, you don't know. I don't know if I'm right with you in terms of the team, maybe not be, might not be built to, to uh, focus on the run. And that's where I think it comes down to how fast can Keaton grow up? Because if they're built on the run, it is a run first mentality. It's only a matter of time before Stanford stuffs another safety in the box and uh and stops the run i i more so just said the uh focus on the run point because they had success with it last week until stanford stops it you got to roll with it but that right there is the dynamic if sc can run the ball it's going to make life a lot easier for their true freshman quarterback and he's not going to have as much pressure if i'm stanford's defensive coordinator i'm not letting that happen i'm forcing the true freshman quarterback to uh to throw the rock and let's uh let's see let's see what he can do yeah, well, let's let's move to that rushing attack just very quickly here, and it's it's now very clear, and it maybe should have been clear at the end of camp when when Vi Malapai missed two or three weeks with a knee sprain and immediately came back in and was getting first team reps in practice that that they're very high on this guy, and this is a staff that that came in and made fresh evaluations. Mike Jinks and Graham Harrell didn't look at last year's stats and go, okay, this is, this is going to be our top guy. They came in fresh, and it's clear that Vi has won them over. What do you – and this was a question during the chat on the board, too, that you addressed well, but let's expound upon it. What, what, what do you like about Vi's game that you think makes him such a preferred weapon in this offense? Yeah, it's a funny dynamic because I totally get why Stephen Carr is the fan favorite. I mean – he looks like an NFL back just getting off the bus kind of thing. Yeah. The reality is, like, Vi is a very good running back. Like, very good running back. Like, no hedging, no, like, he's a very good running back, but kind of thing. Like, no. If you had Vi at running back year in and year out, you have a great running game. I think Stephen Carr is a little more flashy, like, big playability. I'm, I'm right with you there. But I think Vi is just a well-rounded back. You talk about um, – I think he's like 220-ish, which I know when I played with him, that snuck up on me. Like, you kind of forget how big he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, uh, being, being able to be big in, in terms of short yardage rushing, you need one yard. Can you get him the rock and can he get you three feet? Like, he can get you, he can do that. And then there's also an element of, uh, like, catching the ball out of the backfield. Vi's never a guy you are worrying about catching the ball out of the backfield. Not that Stephen Carr is or any of that. But I think overall it's just consistency, which – SC fans are probably getting numb to that term because that was the term they used uh, for the quarterbacks all fall as well as yeah. who's the most consistent. 
But uh, I just know how these dynamics work. And oftentimes with the running back, it's who can you trust? Who can you put out there that you know there is never going to be an X's and O's mistake? There's never going to be a drop ball. And I don't know the ins and outs of Stephen Carr enough as a dude to really comment on how he is mentally. But I do know Vi, and I do know he's strong in pass pro. He's strong in his assignment and where he needs to go. He does the run game, swing passes, all that. And so there's an element of he, if he's Mr. Trusty, Let's roll with him. And obviously, Steven has some health concerns that are hopefully in the past, that are in the past and all that. But um, all in all, I was impressed with the dynamic of rotating both backs in. I thought it was super, super fluid. It didn't look like it was forced or uh, any of that. They definitely complemented each other well. So that'll be a fun dynamic to to follow. But Vi is just a flat-out good running back. And uh, yeah. I think that's that's enough to, to enough to enough to leave it at. But I don't know. What's your take on it? Well, so he goes for 20, uh, 23 carries for 134 and a touchdown. And I guess what surprised me was – well, uh, what impressed me was just how he hit every hole and, and his vision. And he hit every opening and hole hard and right on time and seemed to just know where, where to go and where to bounce. And, and that was impressive. Now, why was that surprising? Because we saw almost no running lanes last year. We saw no holes. So it, it was hard to really evaluate him in that way because – there weren't those opportunities outside the Arizona game where Akasadric Ware went off uh, with just gaping lanes all all game long. That was an uncharacteristic night, though. So we didn't see them operate with this kind of opportunity, and and they both really capitalized on it. Um, I'm, we talked yeah. about a little Tuesday. I just want to bring it up again. I'm going to be really interested to see what becomes a marquee step because I, I say this for this reason. When I talked to him in the spring, coming off of last year, where he did almost nothing. He got like four carries in the final game. He was truly surprised by that. Even coming into a, a deep veteran backfield that had Ware and Carr and, and Vi, he came in as a freshman thinking he was going to play last year, and he didn't. So he, he, he gets humbled by that. He goes to the offseason. He works on his pass catching. He has a great spring. He has an even better August. Everyone's building him up. The coaches are, are hyping him up. The media is hyping him up. First game, no touches. And I, I just – I'm not putting any thoughts in his head or anything. I, I'm I'm just curious to see if that continues, how he receives that and how he deals with that, or if they really do try to make an effort to give him a chance this week. We asked Graham Harrell on Tuesday about his lack of usage, and he said that there, the plan was to, to rotate him in and give him a series or two, and Vi and Carr just – weren't tired they weren't ready to come out and and it, it kind of seems like a lot of it is is on, on them to say i need a blow i need to i need to break the series and because the, the the pacing of the game it just never got to that point so i i don't think that he's totally out of the picture just because he didn't play in the first week but that's the thing i'm still gonna be really intrigued to see how it progresses yeah no i'm right with you and i saw that same interview with uh with Coach Harrell, I thought his response was very genuine. It was like, yeah, I mean, the plan was, like you said, to get those guys in there. And he also talked about in the same wavelength as the receiver spot, right. too. Yeah. Um, just like we were talking, I mean, Ryan, me and you, we were talking last week of like, oh, they're going to play eight guys and they're going to be like hockey shifted in there. And that was just not the case. You had Drake London in there a little bit. But outside of that, I mean, there wasn't that much rotation. But that is the dynamic. I mean, when I was at SC, they rotated a bunch. I mean, the the backfield when I was there was uh, Buck Allen, Trey Madden, and Justin Davis, all NFL backs, all high-quality guys. But you're sitting there and you're thinking, um, like, okay, if, 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 if Buck at the time is rolling, like, why, why take him out? And there's an element of that when you go back in that Fresno State game, like, if Stephen Carr's rolling – for every rep that Stephen Carr's not like there that uh, marquee steps in the game and Stephen Carr's out like I know Mar- I know I know steps a great player but at this at that wavelength at that point in time you probably want Stephen Carr and so that dynamic is a great problem to have it's definitely an SC, uh, USC specific problem but nevertheless it's not easy I think especially at the wide receiver position where you're uh, there's a little more spots to fill kind of thing. Um, but I'm right with you. That'll be an interesting dynamic to follow because as a coach, you got to keep those guys engaged. You never know when injuries go down, but it's also human nature to be a marquee step, to be a Devin Williams and be like, screw this, man. What the heck's going on? I was this recruits expecting to do this, and I'm not getting on the field. Those dynamics and those start, thoughts start creeping in your head a little bit. Well, let's swing it back to the game. Uh, we really just touched on Davis Mills and the quarterback aspect. 
Max, as as an analyst, which which is your career now, your job, what is put your analyst hat on and kind of give us a scouting report about Stanford overall and just the the, the main things that, that jump off to you from that first game and, and their film and just things people should know about them. Yeah, what jumps out to me is how year in and year out, David Shaw and this team, I mean, a lot of it looks the exact same. Um, you talk about defensively, they're going to be very disciplined. No surprise there. They're going to have a lot of guys with high motors running around, that kind of thing. I think um, so I played Stanford, uh, what was it, three years ago now, and a lot of it's the same. You're going to have two edge, edge rushers that are nothing groundbreaking necessarily, but very sound, going to set the edge, active guys. You're going to have two guys in the middle, defensive, tack- defensive tackle-wise, that are super stout, super strong. Um, I love how active their linebackers are. And then I think the biggest thing, and um, this has been the biggest adva- biggest. Uh, movement that I've seen uh, in the David Shaw era at Stanford is just their secondary and how that's the that's the one area I think before maybe they were piecing together secondary uh, pieces uh, talk about corners and safeties versus now they're getting some athletes and they've got a lot more uh, athletic at that position a lot more dudes and um, one guy in, in particular is Paulson Adebo their corner uh I know Utah's got a great corner in Jalen Johnson. Um, he's a big name, but I mean Adebo, he's he's up there in terms of best best corners in this in this conference. And then Sunday, uh, an NFL Sunday corner, uh, uh, maybe a best best corner in the country type guy. So this guy's very good. I envision uh, he'll follow probably Michael Pittman around the whole game, but I don't necessarily know, right? Because Tyler Vaughn's is uh, is elite as well. But I think that's one element when you step back. Hey, what's the Stanford defense given given me? They're very disciplined. They give. They can give you a lot. They'll run three down fronts. They'll run four down fronts. They'll do some pressure. They'll drop into coverage. But I think athletically, and, and SC fans have come to come to know this. I mean, uh, athletically they can hang with SC. But I think it's a it's a good reminder to bring up because that wasn't necessarily the case. Oh, eight ten years ago necessarily. Um, and you, you can't sleep on that. But uh, all in all, good ball club. Don't think Northwestern was as strong as we may have thought, but. A good team and a good test for SC. I love any thought of Michael Pittman going up against an NFL cornerback and and seeing that matchup because I uh, one area where I am buying all the stock is on Michael Pittman opening up a lot of eyes nationally this year. If people didn't catch him, uh, notice of him last year because of USC's just overall offensive malaise. I'm I'm convinced he's going to have that season that turns heads and shoots his name up, up draft boards and. These are the games that if he is matched up in that matchup, these are the games that you know the scouts are going to go back to and look at on film and and see how he fared. Uh, obviously, he had a bit of a quiet first game. But that's just the nature of this passing attack when you have so many guys, and it turns out that that's the game that Tyler Vaughn's is going to catch eleven passes for one fifty, and Pittman's not going to be as involved. But he's going to go off this season uh, a handful of times, and I, I'm. Re- now that you mention it, and, and you and you sell that Stanford cornerback up, I'm really hoping that that matchup happens Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, it was a fun game we were playing uh, on the pregame show. Me and Sean Cody kind of did like a, a of the USC receiving core. Who do you think is going to get the most receptions? And it was touchdowns, and then it was uh, like yards or something like that. And I think I ended up picking. Uh, a different receiver for all of them. It was like receptions. It was Amon Ra. You can. Yeah. yeah. Receptions, Amon Ra, yards. I picked uh, Tyler Vaughn's. And then touchdowns, I, I picked Pittman just because red zone thre- threat. You get inside the 20, 25, throw it up to big number six. I think that, that was that was my selling point. But you're right. Every week it's a new guy. Um all the all the guys are special, but it, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what how Stanford kind of approaches that defense, knowing how they operate. It's kind of a we're going to stick to what we do. We're going to be extremely disciplined. You're going to have to just beat us at what we do kind of mentality. Um, so I don't think they'll reinvent the wheel, but uh, yeah, man, it'll be fun. Well, the reason why I'm, as I mentioned before, not buying into the rushing game totally yet is because I still have the memories of that Stanford game last year in my head. And that was one of those games, not quite to the extent of the Utah game, it was one of those games where USC just seemed outmatched. Like it just like the scoreboard wasn't even gonna reflect it. It was just a one-sided game, and it was stunting and frustrating. And they just couldn't get anything going. They averaged three point one yards a carry. They scored three points, and 
it's hard to sh- it's you know different team on both sides, but it's hard to shake that mem- memory of of how the physicality of that game went. So I, I am really I think this is a really good gauge for them. You know, take any dynamic out you want. I, I don't care that it's it's backup quarterbacks on both sides, this and that. I just recall what I saw last year, and if they come out and are impressive against this Stanford defense, I'll buy in. I'll be impressed. Now, you, you touched on Stanford secondary. I want to swing it back to USC secondary, which is going to be a storyline all season long. It was the biggest storyline of the preseason and, and really the season until uh, JT got hurt. And as I've noted on this podcast before, I love talking to Greg Burns, USC's DB's coach. I, I think he's candid. I think he uh, is frank. He actually says things, gives you insights. And he gave us a grade this week for USC's young secondary. And I, I thought it was pretty fair. He said, I'd give him a C-. What was your impression of that group? And is, is that a fair evaluation from their coach? <laughs> C-, minus. that's tough. So basically we're uh... – where C minus is that awkward territory where you're not failing, but you're still not like above the graduating level or whatever, how, whatever dynamic you wanna you wanna hash out there. Um, I mean, obviously he's nitpicking on probably everything. I thought it was solid, but I think in large part just because they minimize big plays. I think we talked about uh, Monday morning the the one big play that Chase Williams kind of and the, that group who, who that was more some 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 backup guys kind of gave up that that was bad I think that's a play you need to make on the ball um, but I mean nothing necessarily stuck I think I was impressed with the I mean the the guys they were sticking with I mean Elijah Griffin in there mixing things up but it, it's a different test when you talk about going up against Stanford because I can always remember with our corners too um, like they're gonna have to tackle this week they're gonna have to show up toss sweeps are gonna have to set edges are gonna have to take on offense alignment at times that's not gonna be fun it's not gonna be seven on seven just dropping back covering guys kind of thing so this will be a fun test for a younger group in terms of hey we got to be physical this week but uh i mean by and large i'll leave i'll leave the grade into uh coach burns on that one (laughs) yeah well what we did learn in that first game was usage and we didn't know how much they were going to rotate and I think what we saw was pretty telling. We saw Elijah Griffin play all 80 defensive snaps on his side of the field. We went into this kind of knowing that he, he was the one of those young corners who had really truly separated himself and, and was going to be kind of the anchor of that group. So that was as expected. And then we saw Isaac Taylor Stewart get 66 snaps at the other corner spot and Chris Steele get 14. And... We knew that Taylor Stewart was ahead of Steele. We didn't buy how much, and I thought that was pretty telling. Of course, Chris Steele, the five-star freshman, gets in there and, and has two two pretty bad beats. Uh, he has the one you mentioned where uh, where um, Fresno State split quarters coverage down the left seam, and it was between Steele and Chase Williams, and it looked like there was a communication uh Mishap and Chase didn't react quick enough to realize he had to pick it up, and it went for a for a long touchdown. Greg Burns said twice uh, in his comments that he thought Chase should have had an interception there, and and that's something that most coaches wouldn't give you. They, they wouldn't give you that honest assessment and, and say, you know, I'm not calling this guy out. I'm just saying, if we're being truthful, that that was a pick waiting to happen. And so that one is not totally on Chris Steele. Then he got beat for a 52 yarder later in the game, and. Uh, it was the last play of the third quarter. He was immediately replaced by Taylor Stewart. And I think we we really saw who the top two corners are. And we asked Greg Burns if the rotation was going to change based on that. And he was adamant that, that no, this is still a three-man rotation, and you're going to see those guys out there e- equally. And, and I don't think we're going to see that at all. I, I do take from those comments that they're committed to giving Chris Steele time to grow on the job still and, and see what he can do and not just really hone down into having two starting corners. But I, th- I think we saw who the two best guys were out there last week. Yeah, I think there's also probably an element of uh, well, whatever the word is, gamesmanship or, or whatever, but I think there's probably an element of they know that they probably need three corners to be locked in to survive this whole year. And so the idea sure. of officially naming uh, starters or saying, yep, these two guys are great, and Chris Steele, you're on the back seat. Like, what does that do to a, especially a five-star kid coming out of high school mentally, right? There's there's elements of, of a marquee step type deal. Of a Devin Williams, you got to keep them engaged, that kind of thing, um, especially uh, 
I mean, Stanford, you're not going to have as much rotation, but you talk about some of these, uh, the, 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 the Washington State offenses, the Oregons, a little more high tempo running around. You're going to need a third corner to count on week in and week out with a lot of these teams. So keeping them engaged, I can't blame them at all for, for state keeping this rotation, but it will be interesting to see if those 14 or whatever you said, 17 reps for Chris Steele start dwindling down. Or does his workload uh, creep up into the twenties? We shall see. Yeah, and and just kind of going elsewhere around that secondary. We talked a lot last week before the first game about the nickel spot and how Chase Williams had gotten uh, a lot of hype and praise early in camp, and then Greg Johnson, who was in the cornerback mix early on, gets moved to that nickel spot and just kind of usurps that job. And I really thought there would be more rotation there. There wasn't. Greg Johnson played all but one snap. Chase Williams got in at safety. He actually replaced Isaiah Polamau uh, on the I think eleven plays, but Greg Johnson was the nickel, and and I I thought he had a bit of an uneven performance. Uh, Greg Burns defended him and said I give him a B minus. He was he was very solid. I want to see where that position goes the rest of this season because I I'm just I'm, I'm still not sold on on Greg Johnson there just on what I saw from him at corner last year and what I've seen in the preseason and what I saw in that game. Now, that said, I don't know that Chase Williams is definitely better. In a game situation, I don't know. We talked about the the touchdown where he he and Steele were involved in and Burns thought he should have had the pick. So I don't know that that, that he's necessarily pushing or deserving of that chance. I I just want to see how that position plays out. Over the rest of this time, and what? Um, oh, what? Yeah, one little uh, one little tidbit there. Uh, we might have to wait a whole another week to to get a, to readdress that point because I know kind of in the past when I was at SC, the nickel spots kind of the odd man out. This Stanford week, <clears throat> when you talk mm. about bringing in another linebacker, bringing in another defensive end. All right, so if you're bringing another guy who's coming off the field, oftentimes it is a Greg Johnson. I know, or the nickel spot. I know. When I was there, there was always the dynamic of like Suba Cravens played our like nickel outside yeah. linebacker element a little bit, and there was always the dynamic of, okay, we need Sua on the field somehow, some way. So how do we get his outside linebacker safety esque duties into this game plan when you're talking about a Stanford? And so obviously Greg Williams is no Sua as a player yet, or physically just not as big and not as. Um, stout in terms of the run game when playing Stanford, but that that nickel on and off the field, who's replacing him? Is it a Hunter Eccles? Is it now you're putting another defensive end or another defensive tackle in the game? That dynamic is always fun to follow when SC plays Stanford. Good point. Very interesting. Um, in terms of rotation, where we did where we did see rotation, we saw a ton of rotation on the defensive line. Uh, so much so that I decided I had to go back and rewatch that game and track the, the defensive line changes, and and I, I went series by series and play by play, and there were series where three plays in a row they had a different defensive line alignment, and I so I I talked to defensive line coach Chad Kaha ha 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 ha, that's awesome. So, uh, a, a quick aside, so I, I went up to Jack K. After practice, and I'm the first one to get over to him. And um, I had never formally introduced myself to him. We talked a few times, so I introduced myself, and he introduces himself and gives me an impromptu lesson on how to pronounce his name. And I just could not get it. I felt so bad. I'm in the moment there, just just trying, and, and he's no, no, it's it's ha ha ha. Um, and I just I, I couldn't get it. So <laughs> that's good. He's gonna be Chad. He's gonna be Chad K on this podcast 99% of the time. Anyway, so I, I talked to Chad Kay, I talked to Clancy about the rotation up there, and, and Clancy made the point that he thought it was an area that, coming off of last season, he identified that he really wanted to get better at. He wanted to be able to rotate more up front and to be able to do it uh, with better execution. And Chad Kay comes in from Boise State. He's been a number of places, but that's kind of been his thing wherever he's been. Now, he, he said that Boise State, their defensive coordinator is now at Oregon, did not believe in rotation. And so there was kind of a, a philosophical divide there. But everywhere else he's been, he has always rotated heavily and has a system in place, and he just believes in it. He believes in keeping guys fresh. But we saw them go from their you know, traditional, uh, I guess is what's going to be their base alignment of both defensive ends, Rector and Jackson, and then whoever inside, you know, Tupelotu, uh, Peely, uh, Tefele. We saw some Nick Figueroa. 
they would go from that one play to having Drake Jackson run off the field and Hunter Eccles come in as the outside linebacker uh, standing up on the right side of the line. So the very next play, uh, Jackson's back in, Eccles is out. Occasionally, Jackson would come to the left end. Christian Rector would be inside of him, inside. I mean, they threw a lot of different looks. And I bring all this up because I want to ask you, what does that do for an opposing quarterback when you're seeing different defensive line looks every couple plays? Yeah, to be honest, as a quarterback, it's probably not doing too much. I think, I mean, for me, when I played, maybe other quarterbacks are different, but I'm more so worried about uh, more so worried about linebackers and safeties. As I say that, okay. I mean, if a Hunter Eccles is on the field and it changes your protection scheme in terms of, okay, now we have uh, a, a different type of body down, does that change like kind of where we're going with our protection kind of thing? Those elements do exist, but in terms of like interior – whether if it's a four down front, whether you have like Tupelo, to Tefele, like Connor Murphy, Figaro, whatever, like that's 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 probably not on your radar. What I do think um, it is a, a big deal is offensively, if you kind of deem as the season goes that hey, Christian Rector's that's the guy we got to account for. That's the guy we're chipping. That's the guy we're sliding to. Or if it's a Drake Jackson, we have to do specific things when X Y Z happens or whatever. And then Clancy go if that if that's your offensive mind, mindset. And then Clancy goes and starts mixing things up. And you see Rector to the boundary sometimes standing up. Then he goes to the field with his hand hand down. Sometimes you have Hunter Eccles and Drake Jackson on the field at the same time. All those different things they definitely mess with you as an offensive lineman. I think as a quarterback, it's just another element you have to prep for week in and week out. Um, and so I think having that versatility at your disposal is definitely an advantage. And it'll be fun to see. Uh, how Clancy handles that. I think a big down that I circle is kind of, all right, third down. Because third down is kind of when you gear up to really get after the passer, really dial up kind of your best blitzes. That's what Clancy does great. And so um, it'll be fun. We, we should talk about this a week from now and see, do they keep that same scheme of like kind of like you talked about? Do they move, yeah. do they move a uh, Christian Rector to the field, bring a Hunter Eccles in? Do they keep Drake Jackson in? Like, how does that dynamic work? It'll be fun to see if Clancy plays games uh, schematically with the opposing offensive coordinator week in and week out. For sure. I, I was just really fascinated by it, by, by the frequency they were, they were doing it. And then I started to think about the, uh, the protocols you have to have in place to, to pull that off and, and not mess up on those substitutions. So if that intrigues you at all, I have a great story up on TrojanSports.com really going in depth on that. And uh, Chad K kind of explaining the whole process and how uh, either has to be a time when the offense is subbing or they're on the near hash. If they're on the far hash, he won't do it. And then there's a whole protocol in place about how the player coming on, make sure the player coming off knows it's him, et cetera, et cetera. So I got into all that in that story. Um, we'll stay up front there. And it was a, uh, a hit and miss, an up and down performance from the defensive front last week in that they had a lot of good pressure. They got in the backfield. They created a lot of havoc back there, got, got Jorge Reina off his spot. Just didn't really – finish very well and clay has said it clancy said it this week they feel they left five sacks on the table and i can picture at least three maybe four in my head right now just off recall and so that'd be really interesting to see how that improves because and and this point was made this week in practice they don't ever get to practice tackling the quarterback so you never work that truly work that that muscle that you know where you've done it in practice okay this is how you finish and make sure you bring the guy down because they can't do it in practice so it uh, that was one of the both positives and slight negatives of last week kind of all in one bunch yeah no it's always a funny dynamic because it's like uh like oh what are we doing like they they, they've never had uh the the chance to hit the quarterback well no team in the country is hitting the quarterback during practice so it's like everyone's everyone's on an even even playing field there but i I don't blame you for for bringing it up but it's always though those things always kind of are funny to me i mean i was on a a utah radio show uh last week and their fans are kind of uh uh, worried about the drops that their receivers are having and it was like a similar story to last year and it's always funny like oh how do you fix drops well it's like Sometimes when you emphasize it too much, guys start thinking too much and guys are maybe tentative or like freaking out or like, oh, like getting pissed at each other the next time a quarterback breaks a tackle, which it's going to happen in the game. So I always kind of 
take those with a grain of salt of like, hey, maybe it was, hey, maybe Jorge Reyna, maybe that's his thing, you know? But, I mean, like, and we'll see moving forward. But obviously you got to wrap up with the quarterback. I think it being a point of emphasis, and a point of emphasis I'm sure it won't happen moving uh, moving forward. But to me, if we're doing overreaction, underreaction, to an el- there's an element of uh, yeah. overreaction to that on, on, on my end. No, no, I, I appreciate you kind of putting that in check because it, it normally I, I'm normally on that side where I get so amused at at the uh, perception people have of the way USC practices, and, and they think and I couldn't think of the name last week when I tried to reference this. They, they think that every other team in the country is the Junction Boys, and that, that there you go, yep, all, yep, they're, they're going all out every practice, and a lot of teams do it this way. Maybe some hit more than USC, but it's not like uh, you know. Trevor Lawrence is back there getting walloped in the backfield on, on Tuesdays. So it's, it's kind of the way, the way the, a business these days. Um, it, it wasn't just the defensive linemen not wrapping up. We saw a, a, kind of an off game from, from EA uh, at linebacker, and, and Clancy acknowledged that, and he said that he's kind of getting used to his new spot and that he's, uh, he's a little more covered up than before, and he has to – to approach things a little differently, and so it's going to be an adjustment there. But he's obviously a guy we're super high on and, and didn't have the best first game, but I think he'll bounce back pretty fast. Any other takeaways from the defense collectively that that we should hit on here before we move on? Yeah, you mentioned, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, it, I mean, you talk about rotation, those interior linebacker spots. I mean, John Houston and EA got about every single snap, maybe outside of a couple. Um, so that, I mean, you, those are obviously like the two dudes. So even though EA is not having a great game, I don't think it's any anywhere close to to replacing him. Not that that's what, that's what you said, but in terms of he, I think he's he's rock solid at his spot. I think. Yeah, um, well, he is. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I touched on it last week, but it'll be it'll. And I touched on it earlier today, but it'll just be fun to follow that dynamic of Greg Johnson, Hunter Eccles, Drake Jackson, and Christian Rector. And I mentioned all four of those. I know they're different positions, but. They're kind of all on a string because on third down, those are kind of the moving pieces that you kind of adjust in terms of where who's going where, who's rushing, who's covering, all that stuff. So um, week in and week out, especially moving forward with the Stanford uh, alignment, that'll that'll uh, naturally put a lot of uh, new looks into this defense. It'll be uh, it'll be fun to follow that in week two, for sure. Well, I'm gonna bring us to a. A different topic here, that one that I, I know will appease all of our Trojansports.com subscribers who have been uh, ranting and raving about it uh, all week, the clock management at the end of the game Saturday night, particularly the second-to-last series for USC. They're up eight points. They get the ball back with 6.49 on the clock, a chance to maybe close out the game right there. Now, this is an up-tempo offense, uh, and it kind of remained one, whereas you think they might go into uh, kill-the-clock mode. No, and I wrote this down, so I have this pretty exact. Uh, this, is, this is five straight snaps. They snapped it with 16 seconds on the play clock, 21, 18, 14, and 16. That's almost a minute and a half a time that could have been taken off that wasn't. And what happens, they then give the ball back to Fresno State with, I believe it was 2.39 left on the clock. And Fresno State, of course, proceeds to go down the field and get to the 15-yard line and, and threaten to tie the game. And Clay has been very defensive about that approach, both after the game and uh, Thursday after practice. Did you feel in the moment that it was an egregious mismanagement of the clock? In the moment, I lost track of it, to be honest. And people can uh, give me crap about that because I wasn't necessarily uh, as astute with that. And I, if you uh, if you called into the – or were listening to the postgame show, I kind of gave a soft answer at the end because uh, a fan called in rightfully so upset about it. And I kind of was not defending it, but was kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of what you get with this offense kind of thing. And I looking back, yeah. I, I, I hate that answer because the reality is – the complaints are totally warranted. I I, I can't uh, I can't blame them for that. You talk about being up uh, in that scenario with that le- that much time left in the clock. I mean that's what you that, that that's the whole point of going milk milk situation to then to then calm the uh, to calm the clock down. But and I, but like here's here's what happened or here's what my my guess is what happened and why this why this occurred. And it's not an excuse, but 
you got a true freshman quarterback back there that for all 35 practices that he's been a USC Trojan, he has probably been hearing, tempo, let's go, tempo, tempo, yeah. every single day of his practice. So then he goes out there in front of 70,000 people first time, and I get, and I bet he was just in a little bit of a robot mode where it's just like, all right, get the play, run to the line, quick, get the play, run to the line, don't mess up, that kind of thing, just like, like we're, we're up big the worst thing we can do is a turnover I bet it wasn't the time wasn't even on his radar at that point then you got to say well Max that's the coach's job well I bet the coaches were in a similar mindset of hey we got a true freshman quarterback back there let's just get the play let's make sure he operates not saying it's an excuse that's the coach's job to make sure you're operating those, those things but in terms of the level of priority right there I bet a lot of it was Hey, coach, let's make sure we get the play in on time, right? Because one of the worst things there is seeing a delay of game because you have a true freshman quarterback. It takes time for him to operate. So I'm sure there was an element of, hey, coach, make sure he gets the play with tons of time. Uh, So like those inner workings, not to get super long-winded, but those inner workings are, I bet, what happened. Um, And then obviously now a week after, I'm sure Clay's protecting his quarterback. But if I was a betting man, I would be. I would put money, and that was kind of the the dynamic that played out, rather than it being a, a total like, what are we doing? But then again, I haven't heard Clay's comments on it, so I'll have to go back and research. But that's my two cents from being in a similar quarterback room and kind of knowing the ins and outs of a true freshman's uh, mental makeup. It's very plausible. That's a very plausible uh, scenario, and if that was the case, then Clay would certainly, you know, he's he's going to going to cover up for things i i stay in the middle most time i try and stay in the middle i try and just be right down right down the lane objective and more often than not i find myself having to step in and offer perspective to over the top criticisms of play who just gets blamed for everything now and and certainly there's a lot of very valid criticism when you go five and seven at usc so uh never saw it or wanted to be a, a Clay Helton apologist. But it's to the point now where anything he does, the criticism is just so over the top. And so I'm constantly trying to go, well, actually, it's this. And just kind of keep things in check and, you know, criticize where it's warranted. Let's not go uh, so far this direction when it's it's kind of uh, circumstantial. In this case, I think it's a very valid criticism. Whatever the scenario was or, or, the, or the reasoning, that, that, that could have cost them the game. If, if Polo Mal doesn't pick that ball off in the end zone, that very well could cost him the game and change the entire direction of this season. And so they got fortunate there. And he was asked about it again Thursday, and you could tell he was a little defensive about it because whenever he, does, he, he doesn't wait for a question to be finished before he starts talking, you, you know, he's kind of – he knows what's coming and he wants to combat it. And But his answer struck me as if he didn't truly understand the frustration of – of the fans, or he was just trying to talk around it. But he go, he goes, well, actually, if, if you look at our last series, we had to get that first down. We did this, this, and this, and it's like, well, it wasn't really about that series. It was the one before it. Um, everyone's focused on. So we'll see if they learn from that. If they're in the same position and do things differently, that'll be telling. The other small kernel um, in terms of closing out the game that a lot of people will fixate on was the fact that in the victory formation, they went in the shotgun. And I understand Clay's explanation here is that they're always in the shotgun. That's what they practice. It would be more jarring to have them do something they've never done before in that point of the game. But we saw Keaton kind of bobble one of the kneel downs. And what's your thought on that? Yeah, I'm totally in Clay's corner on that. I think I'll offer a little perspective here. So if uh, quarterback center exchange, Quarterbacks on Sundays make it look easy, like it's the most simple thing ever. It should be that way if you're an NFL quarterback, but it's not like a piece in the cake, a piece of cake. You do need to practice that, especially if you ever have moving centers or, in this case, moving quarterbacks. You do have to practice it. And so, if you're going to spend the 10 minute or the even if it's five minutes a day working on quarterback center exchange, which you would need to do to make sure it's a consistent thing, that's five minutes that you're not talking about some blitz pickup or five minutes you're not talking about some, you're not practicing screen throws or bubble screens or whatever it might be, some one-off element that's big to your offense. So to me, I don't mind it at all. Uh, it was funny you mentioned, or I don't mind the uh, shotgun knee strategy at all. I think it's it's what you do, take the yards and move on. What I will say is interesting is the bobbling of the center snaps. 
Um, I noticed JT did it on one of them, and then Keaton did it on like three of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know when I played Max Turk, who was our center at the time, uh, his velocity on the snaps was different uh, in, in, in real-life games. It was just, I don't know if it was adrenaline or whatever it is. And so I would not be surprised if there's an element of that that's catching the quarterbacks off guard where it's a different uh, different level of juice come game day and they're going back to their quarterback saying or quarterback coach saying, Coach, I know it's right there in the breadbasket, but it's coming back a million miles an hour. The guy's got to slow yeah. down. And then it's the coach's job to go to Brett Nealon and say, hey, you got to slow it down. And he's saying, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm, I got 70,000 people here. I got bigger things to worry about than the <laughs> velocity of the ball. And that dynamic, I've lived that story before, but uh, that's kind of my two cents on the whole thing. No, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Well, this was fun. I, I can say one thing. I think we are in midseason form now. Three podcasts <laughs> in. I think we're we're right in the pocket there. That was another good one. Uh, should we close with predictions? Do you have one in mind? Close with predictions. Um, you, you go first if you got one. I gave it a quick thought here before we got on on the air, and it's very possible that I'll feel differently uh, by Friday afternoon and change it. But for right now, I'm going 24-21 USC. I'm giving the, the nod to home field advantage. I'm giving the nod to the fact I just think that USC has more talent overall. I don't know how to uh, rank either of the quarterbacks first one, one another, so I'm just kind of excluding that factor. And I really don't know what to expect, but I'm going to go 24-21 Trojans. All right, I like it. I'll go uh, – I'll go uh, – I'll go 20 to 13. I'll go USC as well. I think I think you at the end of the day like even if Keaton's back there and and he has some growing pains, SC has so many athletes and so many playmakers and I know SC fans listen to this, they already know that. Um but I think I like 20 20 uh 13. I think there's going to be some goofy uh Reliance on field goal kickers, not being able to punch it in on the red zone type stuff. Maybe some goofiness there that puts uh, more field goals than touchdowns. But uh, that's where I level out. I think it'd be a different story. My prediction would one hundred. I would be predict- predicting Stanford to win this ball game if KJ Costello was playing. He's not, yeah. so it's a different ball game. Good stuff, Max. Enjoyed it. It was awesome, Ryan. Um, yep. See you uh, Monday.